You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Tonight we talk about what our new podcast is, the zoning meeting we just had, and controversial topics like pay increases for council members. So here we are, our first episode of the podcast. Larkin, tell the folks what this is all about. First of all, i just got to say this studio is amazing. This is the City Hall Studio. It's Tark's uh, closet-sized office. Yes, which very, is the, uh, very blank walls. The exact same size as mine. 1990s law firm style, I think is. The, but it is a window office, and it's a window to the hallway. Yes, the hallway looks wonderful tonight. So tell the people what they can expect from our new podcast, R&D in the QC. All right, so R&D in the QC was an idea we came up with because a lot of people are asking us to kind of peel back the curtain of what it's like to be on city council, particularly as a new member and as one of the younger members. Uh, And we think that it's important to not only give you an idea of what a day or a week in the life of, of our new role on city council looks like, but also give you a bipartisan perspective on some of the issues that we face. So with Tarek being a Republican, myself being a Democrat, R&D in the Q, in the QC, so the Queen City, we want you to have a sense of how both parties are approaching these these topics. And and honestly, most of the things that we deal with on city council, at least so far, um, we tend to agree on across the aisle. But there are going to be things where we come at them from different angles. And I think if more people would look at both sides of an issue and see both perspectives. I think it's a lot easier to come to a reasonable conclusion. Uh, So we'll try to help you break out of your news bubble if you're only listening to the left perspective or the right perspective. Hopefully we can give you both and give you a little more food for thought. R&D in the QC is real news. Yes, not fake news. Not fake news. So let's jump right in. We just got done with our first zoning meeting, and it was... Uh, incredible. I mean, if there's something sexy about being on city council, it it's, is zoning. It's the zoning meeting. There's clearly, I mean, we went through a massive college-style binder in a couple days. We got to ask all kinds of questions. We drove around, saw some sites. So we should also clarify, there's going to be a lot of sarcasm in R&D on the QC. Do we the have sexy to clarify part, that? Well, though? the sexy part was sarcastic, but Tark's not kidding at the size of the zoning book. It's very, it was, it was huge. 10 pounds. 10 pounds. So uh, there was a lot of you know, if you were watching it, if you were in the tens of people watching that live tonight. <laughs> Unless, you know, except it, for that all of them left after the second Right, th- that was my point. There were a lot of things that were really like you couldn't, you didn't even really understand what was going on. And then every once in a while there was one where uh, tonight, in that case, a bunch of signs, right? This was in a District 7 uh, re- uh, rezoning uh, petition for the Arboretum case. I mean, what, what was your big takeaway and lesson learned from that? So a lot of us spent a lot of time, uh, none more so than the district right at Driggs on that issue. And, and that's kind of how this shakes out. We all want to dig into it enough to feel comfortable with it. But I think ultimately it's incumbent on the district representative that they are the expert on this and that they can answer questions. So I had, I think, five rezonings tonight. I got myself to a point where I was going to be comfortable with any question you could bring to me that I could answer it and make you comfortable with it as well. Um, Ed certainly did his that way. He was ready to go. He'd studied a, another 10-pound book of a traffic study. Um, but I think the thing that he did really well tonight, that most of the people who were in the crowd left upset with us, and that's going to definitely happen. People did not want us to approve this rezoning. We did. Um, there was data that would demonstrate that some of the concerns maybe were not um, were not valid based on scientific evidence. 
But what Ed did a really good job of was he came back and said, I want to acknowledge the people that are in the crowd. They were against this. Let me tell you how I got to my conclusion. Um, while not diminishing their concerns, he said, "Here's here was my process. And I think that's important because people are going to disagree with us. And, and particularly when it's your own constituents, you've got to be able to say how you got to that conclusion because we shouldn't just be shooting from the hip. We should be basing our decisions on something. He did. He explained that tonight. I, I thought he did a good I, job. I thought he did a great job. And I've seen him for a couple months, actually, dealing with this and going deep. For me personally, uh, I tried to use this as a bit of a case study where, you know, it had all the elements of a developer that really kind of was going over and above, a community that splintered into multiple pieces, a large chunk of them in opposition, um, you know, traffic studies and data, all these different things. And for me, at the end of the day, uh, I analyzed this one and I got comfortable, as comfortable as you can get not being part of that multi-month process um, by by bucketing all the complaints and, and uh, concerns that were sent to us in email and all the phone into three buckets. One, um, you know, we don't want a new grocery store here. We've got plenty. And, and that one was easy for me because I believe not really uh, our job. it's not our job. It's not, it's not my job to sit there and, and dictate or, or guess winners and losers and what the free market will bear or not. If that company, Publix, doesn't know what they're doing in that space, then they're going to make the wrong choices and they're going to go out of business and they're doing pretty good. I was going to say, I haven't seen a Publix close. No, that's a great thing. They they clearly have an idea of what they're doing. So number two was traffic. And clearly we hear this all over the place. Everybody hates traffic. But I think the thing you have to realize is we're in a very large city. Now, I'm not saying traffic, we can't do better with infrastructure and roads. But when you look at what the responsibility of the developer is in a scenario like this, as long as they've made efforts to not make things worse for the additional traffic and trips that are going to come through and... Um, they've backed that up with data that we're hearing from their side and staff side that's telling us this data is accurate. It is within acceptable ranges of a, of a uh, activity center, which what this is. You know, I, 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 I can't go back to someone's anecdotal concerns about traffic is bad. And I know traffic is bad there, which makes this extra tough. And three, the final point, which is the most complicated for me, was, uh, you know, this whole thing of the uh, character of the neighborhood and 1980s land use plans that were there and then how they got updated from, you know, corridors, centers and wedges plans. And, you know, that one to me was more of a realization that it's within the realm of the latest uh, plan statement that was put out. And it's just a further indication to, to me that we we need this UDO work and work to really um, – Re, you know, repaint this entire Frankenstein version of decade over decade of uh, ordinances that have come to be. So that was going to be uh, my follow-up is if you take one thing away from this first episode, it's to keep an eye on this UDO process. We've mm. just today announced that we've hired a permanent planning director, which is a key element to getting this process really uh, kick-started. Uh, it's, it's already started, but it's, it, it's moving slowly. It's going to be at least a two-year process. Um, we're both going to be intimately involved in it. Uh, but I think everyone needs to be paying attention to it. I think one of the lessons is that some of the least sexy stuff that city council does can ultimately be the most important. And so these plans that Tark's talking about um, that are 20 years old, 30 years old, they're still in use. And so the things that we create hopefully won't have that much of a shelf life uh, because nothing should should be still sitting on the shelf and being used 30 years later when you're talking about a city that grows as fast as Charlotte's growing. But you've got to pay attention to these boring plans and 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 the vision that we set for the city, even if it's not the sexiest 
hot topic of the day because it's ultimately going to dictate the way in which our city grows. And, and I think the way that manifests itself is in things that people get really, really passionate about, uh, but it's hard to get passionate about the plans that lead up to those ultimate outcomes. Um, so pay attention. The UDO is something, Unified Development Ordinance, is something that you're going to see a lot in the newspaper online, and um, it, it might seem easy enough to skim over without caring, but I assure you that it will have very, very visible effect on, on the way our city grows in a way that you should really care about. So final question before we bring in special guests, uh, Councilman Braxton Winston into the program here. Um, funniest thing you've heard in the last week or so, I can go first since I thought of my answer before uh, throwing this at you. It's a tie. It's a toss up for me, both owned by Councilman Phipps. You're going to steal uh, mine. I can tell already. Well, that's, I mean, well, all right, I'll just take one of them. Um, I will take the, uh, the, uh, the citation of the 1985, uh, I believe it was, or 1980, somewhere in there, uh, plan uh, from a zoning perspective, he called out that he, uh, he referenced was only one year younger than our, our new council member, uh, Justin, Justin Harlow. Harlow, which I thought was uh, fairly hilarious of a citation. Uh, so the other one you're going to mention, I'll take now because mm. I was going to use the the Justin Harlow um, <laughs> having the same age as one of our plan reference. Uh, so if there had been an office pool amongst the city council members as to who would be the first person from the dais to reference food, yes, I, I thought think it would be you. I think it would be the, the odds on favorites would have been me or Smudgy. True, true. Uh, James Mitchell, for those of y'all that don't know Smudgy, mm. at large council member. Uh, James and I tend to be the first two in the buffet line. You are literally always first there. Well, I mean, it's it's impressive, dude. You gotta get you gotta get first pick. Um, <laughs> Smudgy and I are always the first in the buffet line, usually with the biggest plates. Uh, so you'd think a food reference would fall to one of us. Instead, tonight, in a rezoning for a possible movie theater in an old, empty grocery store, uh, there was made mention by Councilmember Phipps of District 4 that he loved the project but was very concerned that he'd heard they weren't going to be serving popcorn. Uh, and that is just a travesty. I really want to drill into this over the next month. So we're not sure if that's actually in any sort of code that a movie theater has to serve popcorn, but um, Greg seemed very distraught about the idea that he might go to this movie theater and not be able to get popcorn. They're going to have a full-service restaurant, but he continued to reiterate the importance of serving popcorn in a movie theater. So that's going to be something I think we're going to dig into in the new year. So uh, BYOP, definitely on that front. Um, let's, uh, let's take a little break and bring in a special guest into the uh, uh, QC in the... Backwards, though, I said... You've already get used forgotten to this. the name of our What's our the show? name of our show? R&D in the QC. R&D in the QC. We'll be right back. Dark. We've got a good friend of the podcast here today, Mr. Braxton Winston himself. Braxton welcome to the podcast. Winston, welcome, sir. Two of my favorite district reps in the building. At Thank large, you. sir, in the house. We, we feel honored yeah. by this big moment. Time. Big, big time. time. We're big time and on the program. The, here. Pay, the pay is the same, mind you. It you is have exactly seven the times same. the constituents. But, well, uh, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up, Larkin. The pay is the same. So the topic of the week... One of the topics of the week, uh, Braxton, actually came from you and what you said on the dais in our first business meeting around um, salaries and pay, around terms, staggered four-year terms. 
Um, you, you know, start us off in this segment on kind of where where you originated that thought from. Yeah, I think pay is the, is the juicy part about this. But if you listen to what I said, I was really calling uh, to the attention of what I and so many of my constituents that I've spoke to over the past year plus in the city do believe that Charlotte should have a full time government um, advocating for the people uh, on a full time basis. I first. Uh, came to this kind of realization or a determination last September when I was out in the streets trying to hold, figure out how to hold my government accountable. And I was trying to figure out who to go to. Um, I my first, uh, my first instinct was to go to the mayor because I've always seen the mayor as the head of the government and um, being able to, 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 to carry that big stick. But of course, we have a weak mayor system and I, they, the mayor can't really hold anybody directly accountable um, in our f- structure of government. And I was told to look at, at the manager um, and I learned quickly that the manager is not an elected position and I think that means that they're not directly uh, uh, accountable to the people. They're a corporate position. So I've always thought you know, a representative government uh, needs to be uh, accountable to the people. And that's when I learned that City Council is who the manager is basically directly uh, accountable to. And therefore, that's how the accountability to the people comes into account. And then so when I tried to approach my city council, I was told over and over again by different members that, well, there's not much we can do in real time about the big issues because we're part time. Uh, there's there's but so much information we can go. We have to rely strictly on staff to do that. And I thought that was a legitimate argument. And I couldn't believe that with a city our size, with the problems that we have, the types of issues that will pre- will and do present themselves, that we don't have people that are full time accountable um, between the people and the and the staff. Of so Larkin. So so here's one. Very quantifiable example, I think, of what Braxton's talking about in terms of the workload and it needing to be full time. And I think, I don't think any of us are, are proposing that we just unilaterally make this decision without a community conversation, without some thought, without some data. Right. But most, uh, the three of us today, this is, it's Monday night, we just finished our zoning meeting, and the three of us today have all spent 12 hours here now, today. So if it's a 20-hour-a-week job, that leaves us a little over an hour for each of the next six days uh, this week. And that's just not realistic. We also all got an email today uh, in regards to one of our rezoning cases, I believe. But it was an email from a constituent that said um, that they thought we should personally answer each email that's sent to us. Um, And so if that's the expectation, and I think it very well should be, but if that's the expectation of a a 20-hour-a-week job when our Mondays are 12-hour days, that's not realistic. We get dozens, if not a hundred emails a day. Um, we have community meetings we're supposed to be at. We need to be meeting with department heads. So there is undoubtedly a full-time workload. And I think that the common refrain is, well, you guys knew what you signed up for. And we did. And none of us are are complaining about doing this work, but we could do more of the work given more time. I think. Well, so, but here's, and so this is our new show called R and D in the QC. Is this an R and D divided kind of item or is this point by point? Because personally, I signed up for this and my perspective is there isn't an amount of money you could legitimately pay me that I would do this full time. I'm coming in and spending 40, 60, 70 hour weeks because that's what I signed up to do. But if you said, and you can't do anything else, but you're going to get $90,000 a year, I probably would have taken myself out of the running at that point. So that, I mean, that's me and I know I have a different circumstance and situation, but I view this as, this is public service. This is giving back. And I signed up to spend the next two years giving back at my own financial detriment. 
Well, I, I don't think it's an R&D thing because I've heard from bipartisan support in my in my conversations with people when we talk about the, the facts of, of, of it. That again, again, how my intention, my intention was is not to say that council members deserve more money or anything like that. Um, first and foremost, the, the, my first and foremost is that the city, the business um, owners that are trying to uh, that depend on so many of our decisions, staff, the, the working of our government day to day, our constituents and everybody in between deserves people that are advocating on their behalf. Um, and I've, I've these are the conversations that I know that that people are saying are having behind closed doors, but aren't necessarily having willing to say this out loud. But I think it brings up a whole bunch of different issues that are so as we consider where we are here in Charlotte and moving forward, the way we the way we do how we do the things we do and, and, and how some things haven't changed, but they need to change. Look, when you're talking about it, when you do want to talk about pay for a certain worker, i.e. Um, um, uh, council people. I do believe that you should pay people for the work that they do. Um, too often, people are honestly um, villainized uh, for standing up for themselves, and I'm talking about that from a worker uh, perspective. And that's not that's not a partisan issue. There are workers in this city, whether they be um, Republican, Democrat, in, independent, or that are not getting paid for the work that they do. And that's quantifiable when you talk about issues that I've had in banking towers all the way down to construction And pits. no doubt about yeah. that argument. Yeah. I think and that's the a, difference for me, and I think where the conservatives, when they heard this and they all you know, lit up social media for the last week, what they're hearing is, this is different. One, this is public service. Correct. Two, you signed up to do it. And, and three, you know, I think a lot of them on, on my side of the conservative aisle are looking at this like, I don't want people that come in here and treat this like a career. I want people that come in for a period of time, give back, and then move on to their. Well, career. again, I think I think it's it's if we talk about the merits of things versus the kind of the reactions. Yes, you don't. I don't want people in representative government that have never worked, that don't have real world experience, that don't have dirty hands in some some particular fashion. Right. Um, that is different from just going taking college courses in political science, going to um, intern somewhere, and 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 going to grad school, and then just kind of flowing into the run for office um we I'm, I'm a worker you know what i'm saying i understand the the issues of working people and like i said that this is a, a legitimate beef um, from workers from all over the place so uh, all over the map here in charlotte so um if we're unable to to set the example for even um, um modestly getting paid for the work that you need to do you know then uh, how can any of our constituents believe that we'll advocate for, for that um and then, you know, I, it, it is the what do you want your representatives to be doing? I heard one um, former uh, mayor of Charlotte on the radio this week complaining that if people want if we want to go to work full time, what is what are they going to want to do? Are they going to want to go to every meeting around the city? Well, I think that, yes, that should be the case. As, as, as representatives, we should be interacting with as many constituents as possible and, and having that time, not d d deciding to go to for half the time the meetings of all our constituents and choosing particular constituents i.e. a certain business that we choose to go to with the other half of our time well, I don't think also, that's effective representative government assuming I know which uh, former mayor you're talking about <laughs> not all of us have the luxury of having a job where we're paid to just be a team member and as I recall and I'm not and it was not just him <laughs> other mayors have had jobs 
where they were not necessarily expected to do 40 hours of work a week. And I'm not faulting them or that company, but they were essentially, and again, both parties have had these mayors and council members where people are saying, we see the value in you being on our team and we're going to support you while you do this. I've had a lot of support from my job, and I think it's an important point. Braxton says he's a working guy. All the new people are working guys and, and gals. And I think that it's important that people realize we do have jobs, but we all have jobs where the expectation is that we're still maintaining our workload at that job in addition to this job. Right. And I'm not complaining about the workload. We knew yeah. what we were signing up for. Um, I know we ran out of time in this segment. I think it's also important we come back another time and talk about the value. And I see it as a bipartisan issue, the value in four-year staggered terms. Because uh, I think you're going to get more work out of people. I don't want to retroactively do that to change the terms we've already been elected for. I want to do it forward. Uh, but I, I think there's value in that. I can only support that with term limits. With term limits. Eight-year term and limits. Because that's, that's, that's my value prop. And I'm willing to compromise on something like four years. But, uh, you know. I, I, and the, let me be clear. Is that by law, we cannot vote to give ourselves a raise. It would have to be for the next council. So whether I'm elected or not, I believe that we should have a full-time government. That our representatives should be considering as much um, of, of the, the, the will of the people rather than just listening to individual lobbyists or individual staff members or individual so fi final specialists. Yeah, final question of, of this uh, this segment um, uh, whether the you know which I think we, our listeners can hear kind of where we fall on this issue um, uh, any perception problems do you think this caused us of uh, too soon and look at the millennial on the first day of the job they're asking for um, a pay raise all I can say is those that listen for dog whistles are going to howl and when you want to <laughs> talk about the merits of 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 any kind of decision, I think now and is, is always the time to have it. Um, we, we are a sophisticated uh, culture that we can do multiple, have multiple conversations at the same time. So when you want to talk about to Mr. Eggleston's on point, sorry if I mispronounce your last name, when you, when you want to deal with big issues like crime, affordable housing, um, uh, um, transportation infrastructure, that takes a lot of time. Right. And you want your representatives to 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 have the sufficient setup to be successful in that so therefore charlotte can be successful for that so in order to attack those things we we need a, a better a structure of government i do believe final word larkin braxton it's been a pleasure to have you love having you as a colleague and a guest of the podcast we welcome you back anytime my pleasure thank you guys before you get you're listening to r&d at the qc with Tarek bakari and larkin eggleston <laughs>